How's it going, everybody? You are listening to the Conscious Bodybuilding Podcast. We have Trevor Fulbright on today and Jimmy Hacker. Uh, Maybe more of a consistent thing moving forward. Uh, just talking about general training topics, uh, the, the, I guess, more evidence-based uh, topics around training and nutrition. Probably not too much pharmacology on this podcast, but that's okay. We'll save it for other ones. Uh, so today, um, I actually wanted to start with talking about uh, something that I'm dealing with my training uh, recently, and I think it has some relation to our last podcast around uh, volume and auto-regulation. So first and foremost, uh, like I mentioned in the last podcast, I, you know, I'm a little bit newer to auto-regulation and it's something that I'm still learning as I go. Uh, I feel like I have a decent, um, uh, decent idea of it and a decent uh, understanding of it. But I think I always like as a perfectionist, like want to do better. And it's kind of funny because like volume auto-regulation is, is not something that you can really necessarily perfect. Like it, it is, it's, it's somewhat subjective in, in, in some ways, but anyway, um, what I wanted to talk about is, is so this is my first week of a new mesocycle of, of a mass mesocycle. And I'm essentially going until like, I get a good pump, um, and maybe a little bit of disruption, uh, for myself, I never get overlapping soreness as, as an enhanced bodybuilder. It's just like, I just almost never experience overlapping soreness or, or even very much soreness at all. So it's not a great gauge. Trevor, I know you had talked about fatigue being a good indicator, um, which is something I sometimes experience anyway. We could touch on that, but really what I'm talking about currently is, so I started at what I believe my MEVs are, but the problem is that I have holidays coming up and I know a lot of people will deal with this as well. Um, for example, Thanksgiving, I can only run a four to one and then, uh, we're going to Vegas in December and I want my, you know, harder weeks to line up with that trip. So I plan on doing two, four to ones. My accumulation is normally five to one. And, and what I'm referring to is the actual time accumulating volume. So, you know, four weeks of hard training, one week deload. Um, and so normally I run a five to one. So I'm, I'm, I'm expecting to work up to a certain amount of volume. What, what do I do when I have an artificially smaller window? I know we've talked about this before, but, but uh, maybe you guys can touch on that. Sorry. That was a very long uh, intro into that question, but. Shimmy, you want to tackle anything? want to go first yeah i'll go first i've actually just been uh dealing with this myself and... jesus <laughs> uh i've uh, just had this myself a little bit and uh, my training partner actually he's had some similar things so if you you have a general most of us end up with a average accumulation length that we have be it four to one five to one six to one whatever it is and life happens and we have to throw a shorter accumulation in. And honestly, that's a lot easier to handle than having to extend an accumulation past what you're normally used to. That's a lot more difficult. If you're shortening an accumulation phase, really it just comes down to, you can be a little bit more aggressive with your progressions. So instead of maybe taking a five pound jump, you can take a seven and a half pound jump or a 10 pound jump. Or instead of maybe doing one rep increase, you do two rep increase, especially in the earlier, you know, week one to two range. Whereas when you're getting into that, you know, week three to four, fatigue's already accumulated a lot. You might not be able to get away with it as much. When you're fresher and you still have a lot more adaptability reserves, you can generally just push that progression a little bit harder. And maybe uh, same with if you're progressing your volumes, you can do it the same way where if you're doing, you know, just to make the math easy, say you're training something three times a week and you normally do a you know, five to one uh, paradigm, maybe in a normal instance, you know, you're looking at two of those sessions, you're going to increase volume and one of them, you're not going to increase volume, at least you're going to be le less likely to because it's kind of... It, in one of those situations where it's, it needs to be a little bit of a lighter day, so you're giving a stimulus, but you don't want to dig a huge hole. If instead you're doing you know, a week shorter or two weeks shorter, you can maybe progress volumes on all three of those for a period of your accumulation. Jimmy, you have anything to add? Yeah, so I think all of those points are great, and I'm going to offer a uh, potentially more lighthearted approach because so many of us major in the minors and get caught up in these little nuances, you could also just 
end it at week four and not change anything. You know what I mean? Like we always forget that's like, you know, week one is what seven or eight RPE, four reps in reserve. Then week two is three. Then week three is two. If you do week four with one or two reps in reserve, it's still great training, right? Like you don't necessarily have to have that fail week or even shorten your mesocycle accumulation enough to where you're fitting that fail week in, right? Like all of this stuff is still great training and amazing training. And especially, you know, at the stronger and bigger you get, like you, for example, Dylan, you might benefit from not doing that, oh my God, die week. You know what I mean? And just having two mesocycles that are hard, but not deathly hard. And being that you're massing, you're still going to get really quality muscle growth. Like I don't actually think you're really leaving much on the table at all by not having that last week, right? And just going from four reps in reserve to two or four reps in reserve to one to two and just leaving it there. And, you know, maybe having a deload that's, dare I say, a little bit shorter because if you were broken after five weeks and would need seven days, maybe after a four-week accumulation, maybe you only need four days. Okay, cool. You know what I mean? And then you just do it. And I think it's still going to be amazing training either way. That being said, if you don't want to do that, I would likely do what Trevor said as well, be a little bit more aggressive with my intensity and load week to week as far as that goes. And especially now that you're massing, so I'm like answering this for you, when in doubt, take like add the set. You know, if you're not sure, like, should I add the set? Should I not? If you have a longer accumulation, you can sort of like kind of put it on the back burner, so to speak, or like lay back because you know the volume is coming kind of like what we talked about in the uh, last podcast or like, do you really need to add that set, right? You can just increase the effort. Whereas in this case, because the mesocycle is artificially shorter, you might want to actually add that set early. So I don't think that either of those approaches, I think they're both great. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'll experiment with, with one or the other on, on each um, accumulation. I think, I think my worry was like, Oh, not hitting my, my actual MRV. Uh, and not being able to reach that in volume. And, and, I, and I've talked to a few people before where they're like, oh, you could start again a little bit higher in volume and progress from like, you know, MAV to uh, MRV or something like that, or, or just start with like your two thirds and go up. Well, let me ask you something, man. What if, what if you don't? So what? Yeah. You know, what if you don't yeah, yeah. get your MRV? What if you're close, right? Like, what if your MRV is 20 and you hit 17? Great. So what? Yeah, you know enough. what I mean? Like, you really going to notice? Like, it was all great training, right? If you're doing, Say you're training six days a week. If you have six sessions in a week, like you did 24 workouts, right? Six times four is 24. Like it's still great, you know? Yeah. You know what? Well, where, where the mind, where, where my, my guess, my uh, mindset is, is like, I'm so afraid of underdoing and that's still part of like me, unfortunately. So like, I'm trying to pull back from that. Even with this first week, right? I'm like stopping when I get a pump. That's really hard to do. Like, I really want to do another set. And pulling back from that is like, oh my God, like I keep, I'll go back. I've literally been going back. I watched our podcast. I was watching uh, one that, that Steve had done talking about MEV, another one with like uh, where Mike was talking about it. And I just like want to confirm that I'm doing things correctly. Yeah. like in my head, I'm like, man, like I just need to do more. Uh, so I think it's definitely a part of that, a part of me that's still like, hey, do more, do more, do more. And trying to pull myself and separate myself from that mindset, I guess. Shimmy actually brings up a good point with saying that like, so what if you don't hit MRV? MRV is not a necessity. It's not like we're not going to grow if we don't hit MRV. MRV simply means we can't recover past this. Yeah, yeah. And and the benefits of functional overreaching are, uh, you know. Nebulous at best. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's kind of a thing. If you want to hedge your bets, yeah. But especially if we're just talking about a one-off here and there anyway. And then... The other thing is, okay, so you're doing a little less volume when you get to the last week anyway. Just push it to failure. I don't know. Throw a drop set in there. I was about to say that. Damn it. You beat, it, was, it was here. I was about to say it. <laughs> if you don't want to change your straight set volume at all on the last week, just add in intensity modifiers on yeah. top of it when you feel you need drop sets, a super yeah, set. Yeah. Um, you know, a run, a run the rack and isometric hold uh, something, you know, where you can add that in and make it hard, but it, it, it didn't like cost you in your, like a, uh, like mental real estate in your logbook. You're like, I don't know if I should add a set. Don't then just like add a drop. Set. 
add uh, something else, you know, a peak contraction hold or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sometimes I do this on my uh, giant sets uh, where normally like I'll, you know, you'll go and do like your a little bit longer period of rest. But instead on like my last giant set, I know I have like five more reps. I'll just rest like a couple seconds and then just go after it or something like that. Like I've done things like that before. So I like that a lot. That's a, that's a appeals to the side of me that likes to go hard and, and destroy myself. Well, I'll tell you, man, even for me and my regular, my regular accumulations, if I have like, I, I also do five to ones. And even in my five to one, if I'm like, I don't think that I cook this as much as I could, but I know myself and I don't want to do another straight set. I'll usually go right to a drop set or a peak hold or a forced rep or something like that. Like, all right, I'm going to get more volume this way. And I don't have to wait, you know, like three, that. four minutes again and do another straight set. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's an interesting. I don't do that often, but like it does happen. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, one thing I, what was I going to touch on with that? Oh yeah. Well, one, one, one thing I just wanted to touch on with it is, 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 the reason why I'm planning around holidays this time around is because in the past I didn't and I would try to go on vacation and do my hardest week of accumulation and it just always doesn't work out. So like never works like, ever. I'm like I'm at home visiting my family and I have to drive like, uh, you know, an hour to the gym and stay there for two, two and a half hours. It's just like it's the worst. So that's why I'm doing this preemptively this time around. So for people listening, uh, probably better to deload on vacation if you can unless you are going on vacation to be able to train somewhere or do whatever i guess it's something that you should probably do a cost benefit of is there can you hear me jeez i think Guys, we're losing so, oh. trevor it is dylan right yeah yeah i think I got okay yeah i don't hear so anything he's saying you hear me now? Yes. Yeah. So I, ish. I don't. I tell you, your connection is bad. Yeah. Has it been bad? No. Last time it was great. Oh. Oh, it's been bad. This this podcast you're saying. Yeah. Oh shit. Trevor, you hear me fine, right? Yeah, you hear you fine. Dylan okay. Yeah, and you're perfectly fine too. I'm cutting out in and out. Yeah, you are. There's not much I can do about it. This this uh, service provider isn't the greatest, unfortunately. I know what that's like. Yeah. Um. So let's see. What did you hear of what I said? Nothing. Um. About I heard you talking a bit about the Dylan start from the beginning of the podcast. All of it. Get the fuck out of here. All the, of it. Again. The, the holiday thing, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I was just saying. Um. Well, you you guys had agreed that that like trying to um, trying to train hard on holidays is not uh, generally the best. And I Untenable, so yeah. Yeah, and I was just saying like it's something that you should probably do a cost benefit of. And if you're like going on vacation to train at different different gyms, then obviously that's a little bit different story. But I think if you're like going to relax and stuff like that, dieting, you know, stuff like that, it's probably best to do a deload on on vacation. So that's why I'm sure. planning this ahead of time. Um, okay, so to transition into the next topic, Shimmy had messaged uh, our group, and we were just kind of getting ideas to talk about in this podcast in particular, and he brought up the um, topic of um, when someone first, uh, like, say you get a client who comes on, and um, you need to discuss with them, um, like, mindset around training. Um, I think this also relates to relative effort. Um, how do you How do you have that discussion with somebody? And, and I think we can also talk a little bit about how you have that discussion with yourself too, even like if this is your first time uh, implementing some of these principles, uh, or even if uh, you're starting a new training block, uh, you know, just, just kind of uh, assessing um, what are, uh, I guess, appropriate metrics to, to pay attention to uh, when, when approaching your mindset around training and, and then obviously uh, communicating that to somebody. So. Yeah. So, I mean, I had in my mind, um, yeah, yeah kind of a little bit different to the way you just framed it. So you let me know which way you want to go. I had my mind like a, a rank beginner, like literally someone who's never lifted weights before, you know, but they come to an evidence-based person like us and it's like, you know, show me the way, right? So this is what I had in mind. We, we're good with that. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Talk about talk, talk about uh, the beginner. Okay, beginner. great, yeah. great, great. So, um, I mean, the way that I take these people on is, um, I mean, I never let someone train less than twice a week. 
um, I don't think once a week is, is useful. And I think that everything can get done in twice a week without someone having to make a mental commitment uh, or physical commitment that intimidates them. You know, where once a week, I don't think we're going to get, any, get anything out of it. Um, and I try to make the sessions like really fun and really short. So I have, you know, a squat movement in there of some kind, a push movement of some kind, a pull movement of some kind, and uh, likely a deadlift movement of some kind. And the volume is really, really low, but I really just try to make everything fun, like a super good time while still focusing on what we have to do, but really just enjoying and not taking our ourselves too seriously. Um, and this is what I find is to be really important. And I increase the level of seriousness as someone continues to train in their journey and as they continue to get more and more serious about what they're doing. So someone can ride the wave of, let's say, twice a week of just learning these movements and improving at these movements, never changing them, by the way. Um, I might keep the same eight movements in for like three months or six months, probably not six months. That's too long, uh, but maybe three or four months of just learning them and just having fun and progressing them. And then usually after about three months or six months, I'll have a conversation with them. You know, do you want to add a third day? You know, if they say no, great. We're doing two days a week. No sweat. If they say third day, yes. Cool. We add a little bit of variation. Both movements that I had them doing for, let's say, three to five months will then be swapped out for other things, but still in those movement planes. Um, there's still an emphasis on fun, but there is a little bit more like, okay, you've been training now for three months or four months or whatever it is, let's still have fun. But you, you are getting the hang of this. You're not a rank, rank, rank beginner anymore. Like you're starting to get an idea of what you need to do, but it's still fun. It's still pretty much, I mean, it's always fun, right? But like I have much more levity than, than later on. Then maybe after another, maybe say six months or even longer, maybe even a year of training three days a week, then we have another conversation of frequency, like, do you want a fourth day? And they say, yes, great. And if they don't, they don't. Um, but right there, that's someone's first year to two years of training right there. So just an emphasis on base weight exercises as well. So there's pretty not, not a lot of machine work. Um, and the volume is very, very low. Moderate rep range, usually everything is like five to 10. Pretty much everything is five to 10. Um, and just learning those movements and sort of meeting them where they're at in terms of the seriousness and the fun. Yeah. Trevor, uh, how do you approach uh, bringing on a new client? Pretty similar. Uh, I definitely generally start uh, like, so I train in person a lot of like beginners and I start everyone at two times a week, every now and again, three if they really, really want to do it, but I refuse to let them do more than that because they're just going to get burnt out if they do. And very much like shimmy, it's, it's very basic. It, you know, workouts are 45 minutes, generally something like that. And it's basic movement patterns, uh, a squat or a lunge, uh, a hinge pattern, a press pattern, whatever like that. The one thing I do uh, probably different than shimmy that he had mentioned is I'm a little bit more willing to use machines in some cases. Um, a few reasons is one, um, depending on what somebody has going on, it, maybe it's not worth spending three months learning the technical ability of squatting and instead putting them on a hack squat that they can actually just squat in is going to be a little bit more bang for their buck early on. And that can give you the buy-in of seeing more results instead of just feeling like, man, I've been stuck with this 45 pound bar for the last month because I'm struggling to getting this down. So side point, because I know that Trevor and I have talked about this off this podcast. Um, any trainer that's listening to this, anyone that is coaching anyone with growing quads or squats or whatever, person listening, kettlebell, hold the kettlebell, teach them how to squat with a kettlebell. It's, it's very easy to teach. It's very easy for people to learn. Most gyms have a kettlebell that goes up to 50 pounds. By the time someone is doing a heel elevated pause squat with a kettlebell, a 50 pound kettlebell for 15 or 20 reps on a first set or for multiple sets, 
by the time they get under a bar to squat, it's going to not take very long to learn, in my experience. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think um, one thing that I dealt with when I was um, training in person was sometimes um, generally a little bit older beginners, like people who are new to the gym, it, it may take a little bit. It, it took me a little bit longer sometimes for more technical movements. A lot of the time they already had pre-existing injuries. They had like um, uh, movement patterns that they had already developed. So yeah. it was almost like reteaching them versus someone who's a lot younger. Uh, it's, it's, it, they're so much more malleable. I feel like when, when you're teaching them certain movements, definitely like easier. Yeah. Thousand percent. Yeah. I, I shouldn't have caricatured myself into such a radical position. I do, do use machines as well, just as a, that's, that's a basis, would, as a, yeah. as a general rule, if I have a preference, yes, but depending on the person and depending on their attention span as well, that's a yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> one thing, I, one thing I wanted to clarify when you say fun, what do you mean? Oh, where it's like, they'll be focusing on their training, but in between sets, like, I'm making jokes. I'm making pop culture references. Like we're having a conversation. It's like when you're doing the set, you're in the set. But otherwise, I want you to enjoy being here because people that are not us, some of them are really like the gym's scary. You know what I mean? The gym is not a fun place to be. So, you know, if I'm bringing them in, I'm onboarding them. It's kind of my responsibility to make them enjoy it. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and be like squatting is fun. Like dumbbell bench pressing is fun. It can be, but in the beginning, no, it's lame guys. It's so lame. Until you've created that buy-in and they're really, really uh, maybe fall in love with it. How might you, and I know this isn't a, 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 an occurrence all the time, but you have someone who's relatively new to training or just straight up new to training. Um, have you ever been in the situation of, of helping those people online and, and how would you maybe facilitate that with someone online? Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take on an online client who's never lifted weights before and have them. It, it's too complicated. I wouldn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. I'll echo that. Um, I won't take on somebody who doesn't have a minimum of a year and a half experience. And I'll also tell you, I mean, you could tell me if, if you've seen it generally people that are looking for online coaching, they are that <laughs> if yeah. someone's looking for online coaching is because they've done it maybe they've had a bad experience with a trainer or they want the next thing and they don't want someone breathing over their neck doing set for set like i've never seen someone who wants a distance coach an online coach who's never lifted weights before i've never yeah, seen yeah, it yeah, i'm out cool. there yeah i haven't i haven't had any like true beginners except for when i was uh training in person I yeah have had, i've had some people like uh for example this younger kid i have currently um who had lost a lot of weight himself and he he had understood the basics. So a lot of it was just like tweaking his form on certain exercises um, and stuff like that. And again, it, it, that presents challenges in itself, but again, I get, I get it. I mean, it's not starting from, from scratch, right? It's like, they know how to go into a gym. They know how to work out to some degree. And I'll right? tell you man, that, that that whole topic of, of onboarding a new person when it comes to nutrition too, is a whole other animal in itself. Cause I'm sure you guys have your own, you know, philosophies and stuff. Like when I, if I get someone who's never done fitness, who's never like really dieted or anything, like I'm not immediately wow. constraining their meals or anything for me, you guys, but the way that I do it first time I get a client, they're training with me two times a week, three times a week. All I basically do is like have a Gatorade while you train, have a protein shake after you train. That's it. That's the yeah. only thing touching in the beginning. And then it'd be like, oh, we'll have a fruit in each meal and, you know, make sure you're having protein three times a day. And it's like a stepwise approach until you look back and then you took a lot of steps. And the next thing you know, it's like, oh, they actually have like a perfect, you know, meal plan. Well, I think um, one thing that Trevor has said is, and he said this in the podcast we first did together, is meet them where they're at. Obviously, at the beginner, you go with the minimum effective amount and then you just wait until that no longer has an effect, and then you add something. There's yep. no point in making it harder earlier if they're still getting results. Like, for example, I had someone who came to me and didn't have, a, you know, it's always awesome to have someone who has experience with macros and stuff like that. Boom, here's your macros. Here's what you should generally eat. But, like, someone who is, you know, um, relatively new on that side of things, the nutrition side of things, just said, hey, eat, try to eat more protein with your meals. And I didn't change things for months and he's just making progress linearly. And he's like, Hey, can we change something? I'm like, why? Like, there's no reason to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I think there's a lot of value also in, in making your clients, like, for example, holding them, meeting them where they're at, but also holding them back a little bit, even from themselves to build that anticipation and that like that, that passion um, for whatever that next step is going to be. So like, let's say someone came to me, for example, and like we were training for a long time. They're training three days a week. Amazing. They're like, I'm ready for four days a week. I'm like, I don't know if you are. How about we don't do that yet until they're like, give it to me or I'll kill you. Then I'm like, okay, cool, cool. You know, then, then because now I know that you'll do it, right? Because, you know, if you're someone that's only been training for a year or two, and then you increase someone's frequency to a whole other day, you go from three full body days a week to four days of upper, lower, upper, lower, like it's big, it's a big change for them. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Trevor, anything you want to add to that? No, it definitely, like Shami brings up a good point, is like sometimes you do have to hold people back and rather that be training or nutrition, you know, a lot of times people get really ahead of themselves and they get super gung ho when motivation is high, but the motivation's not always going to be there. Yeah. It's, it's, a you know, they need to build habits and ways to lean back on first before you throw a bunch of stuff out. Otherwise they, you know, that motivation is going to go away in six weeks and they're just like, screw this. Get overwhelmed. Um, but once again, sometimes it's like sometimes it depends on the client, right? Because there are yeah. some clients who have big egos who you know they're wrong, but you got to be like, okay, do it, because you that's know they'll back to you, and they'd be like, oh yeah, you were. <laughs> I, I was gonna, I, I was gonna say it's like a, a line you have to walk. Like it's a little bit of give and take, right? Like if someone comes to me and they're like, I want to do five days, I'm like, can we do four or three? Like you, you want to still create buy-in, but you want to just like you still need to hold them back just a little bit. Like just, it's, you're kind of teetering a little bit. So like when they keep pressing you, like you said, then it's like, okay, maybe we can do this. You know what I mean? But, but you, and then yeah. again, having, having that conversation of trade-offs too, like, well, if we do this now, you know, you might have this issue. So be aware of that. Right. And, and, and trying to inform them as much as possible, if they'll be receptive, obviously. But yeah. Cause at the end of the day, they're paying you. Right. So like you yeah. can only tell no so many times. It's like oh, you're yeah, paying money. Right. So, you know, yeah. That becomes more complicated when I have people who are enhanced, and that's another rabbit hole to go down. But oh I was, I yeah, talk, I was talking to Joe Jeffrey about that a little bit, and he's like, "I was like, how do you manage that with people?" And he's like, "Well, like these guys will do whatever it takes." And I'm like, I, "Who am I to tell them to not? You know what I mean? I'm just going to help them be as safe as possible." I'm like, "Fair enough. Like there's there's a big ethical concern there too, uh, but for another day, for another day." Um, so mm -hmm. let's actually get to some questions. Unless there's anything you want to touch on this uh, topic or or cover. Anything else? Good. Jimmy, anything? Yeah, I'm right. cheese. So, Trevor, I believe you had uh, some questions. Because... Yeah, I, uh, I had a few questions come in. Um, so, here's one, and I'm kind of curious how where, where Shimmy's going to take this. Um, Lucas de oliviera on instagram are loaded sissy squats a dangerous exercise for the knees i don't think so if your technique is good and you've also been working up to doing that for a long time you know people always say this stuff like right like it's full range of motion squatting i'm gonna get back to the point but like it's full range of squatting leg pressing like bad for the knees like no but if you've never done it and train really close to failure, yeah, it might not go well for you. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like with sissy squats, for example, like that's a movement that number one has a big technique component. Full disclosure, I still don't know how to do them well at all. I don't do them. Y'all have never seen me post about them because I don't know how to do them. Yeah. <laughs> I <didn't> do them. <laughs> um, so, you know, you have to learn that. And then to be able to load that, I mean, chances are you're sissy squatting for months before you loaded it so like you're so well ingrained to the movement pattern that like i'm sure that you're, you're going to be totally fine but if you just bum rushed it and was like yeah let's try this like something bad might happen to your knees yeah yeah, yeah. i mean it's you know it comes down to load management and honestly doing it i think what and time spent doing the movement. yeah well and the thing is is like who needs to load a sissy squat I don't know. <laughs> I've never seen it. Like if you, you're going to be really, really damn strong. If you can do a, a set of 20 perfect sissy squats. And I mean, like not the BS where like your hips start flexing through half the movement the whole time. Like 
full hip extended, knees to floor, sissy squat. Those are hard. Well, Trevor, do you know this person or no? I do not know. So there's a chance that this guy is a big fitness influencer and he makes videos about doing weird exercises for views because this would this would be that. Imagine <laughs> seeing a sissy squat of someone holding like two 45-pound plates and doing it or something like what? Yeah. Well, and, and that brings up a conversation about also uh, what, what an appropriate rep range might be for an exercise. Like, you're not going to do sissy squats loaded in the 5 to 10 rep range. I mean, yeah, I no. really... you might. Dude, do this guy. This you guy might. might have 30, yeah, I wouldn't 32 really. inch quads, and he did Taekwondo, so he has really good mobility. We don't know him. Yeah, fair enough. If, for, for our person. The average the person. Far, yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, the, the exercises lend themselves well to certain rep ranges. You know, lateral raises are probably not going to be the best in the five to ten rep range. Bicep curl, you know, especially like a, a preacher curl, probably not the best in the five to ten rep range. Dumbbell flies, things like that. In the same vein, barbell squats probably not going to be the best in twenty to thirty rep range, nope. or fifteen to twenty, or damn near anything over ten. You know, because your your cardiovascular system is going to give out or your bracing is going to be what goes. Support. It's not going to be your quads. Yeah. So you just have Support. to understand, like, you, there's there's a time and a place for different exercises and different rep ranges, and you don't need to do every single exercise in every single rep range. For sure. And we're not saying, by the way, that he does that. Yeah. Well, I'm not. I don't know what Shimmy's saying, but I'm saying that this guy is a Taekwondo master who's also a bodybuilder, and that's what okay. I'm that's that's what I'm saying. Uh, I, I will add, I don't do them uh, because I have, I had a severe knee injury and as much as I know I could probably do them correctly, uh, I am also somewhat terrified as I have some of a PTSD situation. They are situation. brutal. Like there's, I'm actually going to add them in, in my next mass. Mm-hmm. You're, and are you talking about like, you're talking about like sissy squats with like the, your legs locked into a machine or well, like I'm, I'm, I'm generally talking about free weight, but even, even in the machine, and the machine, they're butchered even more so, probably. For, so free weight, how how exactly, like, are you talking, like, just heel elevated? Like, how how do you perform it? So a traditional sissy squat, you, you come up on the balls of your feet the whole time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I don't normally do that. I'll tell you, I also don't do them because I just don't have room to do them. I was talking to actually somebody about them earlier today. Like, I have probably five or six quad variations that are fantastic. I don't have room for anything else. No, yeah. I'm you know to me i if, i'm gonna use them as like a super extension. Yeah, yeah that's kind of where i see their place at yeah yeah i and, and then the, you have also the stability component is you're less stable on the balls or yeah. you can't exert as much force right so that's also a problem i i i i never have a need for them because i my quads have been at maintenance for so long i just what's the most bang for my buck that i'm gonna put in i'm not gonna put in that generally right i don't do extensions usually much either it's literally just a squatting pattern for the most part uh funny side note on that do you guys ever have an exercise that gives you a great sfr but you just hate doing it Mm. Mm. yeah actually of course the one that i've been writing to you about the the Smith Machine front foot elevated oh, yeah, that I've been doing awful are horrible, but like they rock me, but they're hard. They're so hard. Dylan, have you ever tried them? What What is it? Front, oh my front god! Foot I want you to try. Yeah, so you go on a Smith Machine, right? And you put a box in front of you, and you raise it the the box like pretty high, and you perform like a front foot elevated lunge, alternating legs. Oh, you know, yeah, push yeah. The front knee out and stuff. Um, it's awful. It's so, it's good. It's just awful. I, uh, John Meadows used to have those in his programs. I used to do Oh, that. did he? Yeah, he did. Times I, did them. Uh, yeah. I thought I was the one that invented them, so. I'm just kidding. Sorry to burst your bubble. No, 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 no. I've never invented anything. Uh, for me, that exercise is leg extensions. Really? Leg extensions rock my world. I love leg extensions. my quads, but I hate doing them. One, they hurt really, really badly. Mm-hmm. But two, the whole time I'm doing them, I'm like, I really wish I was just squatting instead. <laughs> no, man, I, I love me some legs. And I love also 
you know that this research has come out on uh, the stretch potentially being an independent driver of hypertrophy. Yeah. So it's now as many pads as I can fit in front of the other leg extension pad to get that stretch. I do. I do the same thing. It's like a, it's like a four to six inch pad, and just sitting there hurts because it's like driving my you know heels all the way up. Sure. Sure. Yeah. They need to make uh, my, one of my buddies was telling me this actually, they need to make a leg extension where I, I guess you'd almost be like laying down where like your legs can just go all the way back with tension and then be yeah. able to extend up. That would be really cool. Cause most of them are like perpendicular and yeah. maybe some of them go slightly past 90, but I'm talking about one that's like all the way and the the prime plate loaded extension you can put it on the final setting and yes there's like three rungs for plates but you really don't get much tension at the very bottom on that machine it's really the, the selectorized one you do oh okay i haven't and, it, and you, it goes back really far that's cool yeah, i'd like it really uh, cool is that atlantis uh, leg press uh selectorized leg press that mike just posted about you know how the seat and the yeah. back moves like that a leg, a leg extension that does that where you can Agreed. adjust the back seat. Agreed. There are a few old school leg extensions. They're very rare to find. Um, Perillo leg extensions. Mm -hmm. Like I'm currently using a, an old Cybex one right now and it's fine. I have to put pads in front of it, but it's it's decently heavy um, and it's very smooth. I would recommend trying it. It's an old Cybex one, but it doesn't go back like crazy, crazy far. Yeah. You have to adjust it crazy amount yeah trevor did you have any other uh, questions yeah i have another one here uh so this is from kratos coaching um i know this person yeah yeah i do i know him too um is the 80 20 rule for clean or dirty food something you guys use or implement no because those the reason why in action potentially but when it's laid out that way, that stresses me out. Yeah. Uh, it, when, it I, when I was a younger, when I was a younger man, and I would obsess about these like nutritional numbers a lot more, um, it'd be like eighty percent. Well, what's eighty percent of this, and then twenty percent of that? But like, what if I'm at seventy-five, or like eighty-five is too much? Like, no. Um, so I don't do that. Essentially, what I do is like, I have to hit my macros. I have certain minimum things that I need to do. And then if I have extra room, then I enjoy. And if I don't have extra room, then I don't enjoy. Yeah. But I'm keep in mind, like, I'm not the biggest person. You know, the biggest I ever was when I masked was 215. When I diet down, I'm 180. I'm not a big, big dude. So it's like I don't require, say, 5,000 calories on a mass or something. So my food intakes are, like, relatively reasonable. The highest I ever had to eat was, like, 4100 calories like it's a fair bit of food but it's not crazy so um i never really had issues like i don't know figuring that food stuff out and also when i'm dieting like i mean when you're dieting your food is relatively low so it's all like veggies and whole grains and stuff so i don't think you're having 80 20 when you're like i don't know deep in a diet yeah and, and that's that's how i feel it comes down to it's contextually dependent and you you shouldn't set uh you shouldn't set a diet and say all right well I'm gonna have an, a rule where I 80 percent clean and 20 percent I can fit some junk food in. It should largely come down to what what you what are you doing right now? What are your hunger levels? What are your fatigue levels? You know if you're dieted to the bone and you're you know down to you know 2,000 calories and you know that's like super low for you. I'm not gonna tell you to put in you know some junk food unless you're a type that like doing that keeps you from binging but my general recommendations would be like no you need to eat a bunch of vegetables and high volume filling foods because it's just getting through it at this point and then on the other end of the spectrum you know if you are eating you know five thousand six thousand calories i'm not going to tell you well no you have to eat just rice fruits vegetables and lean protein sources because eventually you're going to throw up and you're going to stop eating. It's awful. So it just depends on like where you're at, you know, and like you said, you have your macros and you just let whether you have those or not be decided by what are you doing right now? And what are your hunger levels? Yeah, I agree. I think um, it's, it's context dependent. Like what, what phase are you in? So like if you're dieting, there's 
a cost benefit that I'm having with myself is like, is it really worth it for me to have any junk, especially when I'm like really close yeah. to a show for like this last show I did? Like, it's like, no, like all that food is going to be potatoes and veggies and fruits. Like I'm not going to uh, even, you know, for me, it would be a waste to put any calories towards anything else. Cause I'm just starving. Yeah, you were like 1800 calories at the end, weren't you? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, no, then I'm not, but it's a cost benefit. Yeah. So like where you're, like you said, where your hunger levels at. Right. And then, and then it becomes, it always is, but it becomes more so like when you're massing, hitting those base, that, those base level, uh, you know, nutrients, at least, you know, obviously hitting a protein, probably some fiber still just to maintain health. And that also becomes a more, more of a concern being enhanced. Like I see so many people with like crazy LDLs and no HDL, like fiber is definitely, you still need to get some and you have to make modifications to like so. three grams of fiber a day. Yeah, I know. I've seen so many people who have like eight LDLs that are just through the roof, and I'm, and they I'm like, oh, how many veggies do you eat? They're like, I don't eat vegetables. What's a veggie? Uh, another exactly another <laughs> thing I can rant all day about, but um, yeah. yeah. So so just hitting a certain level of fiber, and then then after that, it's it's where where your hunger is at, and and using more processed foods to fill the rest of those calories. I yeah. have a I have a little bit of a hot take um, regarding what you said. And this only applies to massing. It doesn't really apply to dieting. Have you guys ever actually had issues like with somebody massing when it comes to fiber? As in like you need to get in more fiber. Like I yeah. don't track when I'm massing. And with people generally, I have them have less fiber because people are too regular. You know, they'll go like five times a day, especially when you have like a real surplus of foods. Like I find when you're in a calorie surplus, Fiber almost doesn't matter. I know that's a really hot take, but I don't know if it, you guys found that. It, it, you don't need it as much, but you still want some for health. Yeah, that's yeah. Like, I guess like, like Dylan it. said, especially yeah. especially if you're enhanced. Yeah. And so I've I've had guys come to me who like literally they send me their food. They are literally eating white rice and lean protein, or cream of rice and protein powder for every single meal. Oh, I've they don't eat any fruits they don't eat any vegetables so they are literally getting no fiber mm -hmm. yeah, yeah in that case yeah it's like all right you gotta context, get right? fiber yeah yeah i guess and, so and, and and sometimes when it is so low it, it it does it also hurts digestion like i've seen people who are like i have really bad digestion and they're trying all these different foods and i'm like well what's your fiber at? and just having more fiber just helps a lot of the time when it's that low or their fiber intake is a quest bar yeah. And that's a whole nother rabbit hole that and 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 to get really this is getting really nitpicky and again probably outside of the scope of this, but like FODMAPs sometimes do um cause problems too. So having yeah. a lot of a lot of broccoli might screw someone up. So that might be not true, Dylan. It's good, so it's good. What was that? Yeah. I said Stan Efferding said it's good, so it's good. <laughs> big, yeah. So and stronger. So yeah. <laughs> Joking, Dylan, you're great. I'm joking. Uh, I do have a couple other questions. We have time. Yeah. Did you want to cover the app? Oh yeah, the app question. I, I forgot. How funny that you posted on your story and then we, and then we, we, forget, we don't. How about we don't? Let's just not cover it. Uh, no, because this is this is one I get this question more times than I can count, and I would really like to just be able to send people a link. Okay. So I'm going to be selfish. We'll make a roll of <laughs> the, the question was, are ab wheel rollouts good for abs? I get cramps from crunching exercises, but not from rollouts. This is something I get a lot. And Shimmy and I have talked about this. Um, I'm so prone to ab cramping. It's really, really oh, bad. Dude, I yeah, I used to get the... I literally had abs cramp one time on a leg press. And I almost couldn't rack it. And... I only got one side racked, and so I'm like almost dropped the sled on myself. Dylan, I'm I had a, a an ab cramp from a, a crunch machine that I was using that was so vicious that I was that I got lightheaded and was like yeah. was like had to go to the couch and was like I I'm, I'm this is really bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've had I've had a few myself. So what is the what is the protocol for? So I have a whole a whole setup for this and it works every single time um, most people when they get it they're like never trained abs or haven't trained abs in years they're like oh i'm gonna train abs and they go and they try to do like 
three or four sets close to failure and then they start cramping and then it cramps so bad they don't do them again for a week and then try again the next week and it just repeats the process so if this is someone if this is you and to bring it back to the question ab wheel rollouts are not the greatest because you're not going through full range of motion you're not getting a full extension or flexion you're missing out on the stretch so having crunching you probably motion, also insert planks people oh god yeah for the rollout this is the same kind of idea yeah same idea so what you do is you start with a very high frequency for abs but a very low effort so you're going to do and a relatively low uh, uh, volume per session so literally like one set every single workout very far from failure one of those it's like it's so far from failure you can't even tell me how close you are wait and when do you perform this set uh you can perform it before or after honestly it doesn't matter because it's so not fatiguing you can do it before you do anything and it's barely going to be a warm-up or you can do it after do it before though because if you wait till after you're gonna say i'm too tired not gonna do it yep yep i, I was baiting you i said I, I would say the same thing i wouldn't do it after because people that are prone to cramping you also may have some dehydration for after the workout that is and may also lead to cramping so being that it's only one set i would do it before and it will be a very nice warm-up you'll feel yep. all loose stuff. but you simply do that for a mesocycle you just slowly build up add some reps as you go maybe add a little bit of load depending on what you're using for crunches for a mesocycle you deload you rinse and repeat with a little bit more volume in the next mesocycle you wash off when you get to like that third mesocycle of it you can actually start reducing the frequency but increasing the volume so say you were doing six days a week you drop it to four days a week you do that for a meso at that point you've built up work capacity in your abs and that's the reason why everyone's cramping when they never train abs and suddenly get a bug in their ear that i want to train abs your your abs don't have the capacity to train in that manner because you only ever use them in a very isometric stabilizing fashion so you have to get them used to that stimulus we never we're, we're not like with the talk about beginners earlier you're not gonna have a beginner come in who's never done anything before, and all right, you're doing five sets of 10 hack squats today. You're going to be crippled. Or even have them do abs for that, man. Well, I mean, yeah, you're not going to have being to do abs, but that's that's the same idea is that yeah. they're just taking a muscle that is not used to training and trying to train it very hard. For any muscle across the board, if you are not used to training it, haven't trained it in a long time, or have never trained it, you need to start easy. You don't need to even be close to failure to get an effective stimulus. That's huge. That last part's huge with ab stuff. Yeah. Huge. Because you might train close to failure and cramp on your first on first set. And yeah. be like, well, I can't even do a set because yeah. I cramp. Okay. Like, what are you going to do, one set a week? I mean, probably not going to do a whole lot. For sure. And I think also the uh, the progression that you outlined it might even be, it might be slower for some people. It, might it even could be, be it you could know, be. like you, you could mess around and let's say you train six days a week, do six sets a week for multiple months, you know, because yeah. there's, there's no rush, right? Like you're still getting good and, and it's good training for mm-hmm. you, right? So you could go from, let's say one set, six days a week, 10 reps in reserve to ultimately one set, six days a week, one rep in reserve. You know what I mean? And you just increase effort that way. And that might yeah. take two months to do. And then after a while, you're doing two sets six times a week. Now you're doing 12 sets a week of ab stuff. That's not nothing. Yeah. Especially when it's plenty of failure. 12, set, 12 sets a week, you might almost stop. You might almost be like, good. Like 12 sets a week of good, you know, picking really good exercises, hanging knee raises where you're really curling your hips forward, a yep. deficit crunch where you're putting a pad behind your lower back or loading it, a decline crunch, a reverse crunch, you know, and like full range of motion with pauses, with the breathing and all of that stuff. Like 12 sets might be all you need in the end. Yeah, and like, that's it. Of those kind of things. Yeah, for sure. But, but in reality, it's just two sets a day, right? Yeah. Wow, I sound like such a salesman, right? It's like just a hundred dollars a day, and then <laughs> you know all you got to do is make a thousand dollars a day. Then you'll make thirty grand a month. It's just a thousand dollars a day. What do you mean? 
<laughs> Jimmy, you're gonna release the ab uh, uh program after this. Too I will. I will. I will. I mean, you had the photo of me. My abs are all like Abby. Yeah. You got to give me royalties for it, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll also say, I mean, this is not exactly tied to what you just said, but it's related to abs in general. You know, the, the, the adage of you get your abs trained when you do everything else. Yeah. Like, I guess it's fine as far as it goes. To be honest, I think a lot of people that have really good ab genetics already just to say that. Like, yeah, they, probably, they, would, they would have had it regardless. There's probably some truth to it. But the point that I'm going to make is you don't know what you have until you get really lean. You yeah. might think that you don't have abs when you do and vice versa, right? Like you might think you have abs because you have this little dimple in your stomach. And then when you get lean, you're like, oh, my abs are actually like a lot smaller than what I thought they were. Yeah. So, you know, before you get a bugger in your ear, as Trevor said about training your abs, I'm not value judging you person, but you might consider getting pretty lean first 100%. and then, 100%. and then be like, okay. Yeah, I don't like the way my abs look. I'm gonna, I want them to thicken up. So I'm gonna do more hanging knee raises to get the V, or you know, I don't know, regular crunches to work on my upper abs, or something like that. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that, on average, for physique purposes, if you've never been really lean, you don't really have any business training abs. Um. I, oh, and one other thing, real quick, Dylan, hold on, one other, real, real quick. If you are going to train abs before your sessions. One small caveat, if you're going to be doing any um, bent over rowing, I wouldn't train abs that day, especially if you're doing bent over rowing properly or dare I say deficit bent over rowing, because if you're already prone to cramping, sitting in that lowered position with the abs flexed after you already trained them, you're, yeah, asking, you're, you're asking for it. You know, if you're if you're bench pressing, fine. If you're Smith machine squatting or hack squatting, probably fine. But like. You know, if you're deficit deadlifting, let's say, or bent over rowing, just where you're really having a big axial loaded component where you're sitting in that block, I might not train abs before that at all. Yeah, that's fair. To, to, to go back on your point about, um, you know, getting lean first, I think individualization is really important there. I mean, <clears throat> a lot of people will say that like, oh, you get to train through all of your, you know, squatting and, and any bracing exercises, but like, you know, some people don't grow as a result of that. And some people do. Some people don't need to train their abs. I think it really depends yeah. on the individual. It's just, just as someone might not need to train as much volume for their legs as their arms or whatever it may be, right? It's 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 individual per muscle as well. Mm -hmm. for, yeah. For, for Look at Steve Hall. He's a good example of that. He's made it a point to train his abs this offseason because he got on stage and he was not happy with the way his abs looked. He wanted them thicker. You know, and but you know, who it's if someone was to say, Oh, well, just you know, do more, you know, squatting and bent over rowing, like honestly, his abs probably take more load from bent over rows and hinges and stuff than half the people telling him to do that. Yeah. And and the systemic, uh, he, he already knows his volume landmarks, but the systemic stress added to, to be able to do those versus a few sets of crunches is, is definitely a big, yeah. Difference. Cool. I had a few on my end. Let's see. Oh, here. Can we do one more? You guys okay? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's see. This is a good one. Why are my bigger compound movements progressing, but not my isolation stuff? Arms and delts. Why might that be the case, guys? Should me? You want to tackle it? I got. I got things ready. You do? Yes. I. I feel like I need some more context. I. I, I mean. Yeah. How about you? You you go first. Then my first answer was, bro, I don't know you. I don't know. <laughs> well, the first answer is, how do you know they're not progressing? What are you gauging that on? Are you gauging that on because you did fifteen, you did you know thirty pound you know lateral raises or shit? That's well, that's pretty heavy. You did fifteen pound lateral raises for fifteen reps, and now you can't do the twenty pound lateral raises. Do you realize what kind of percentage jump that is? Percentage is huge. The the mistake people make with a lot of those uh, smaller, especially if they're using like dumbbells and stuff, the mistake they make with them is too narrow of a rep range. If your rep range is 10 to 15 and you have to make a 25% weight jump, that's massive. So instead, just 
keep upping your reps. You know, you're so I, I almost no, you're so funny, dude. You 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 value judge all of these people. It was, you did the same thing last week, where the guy was like, "What if uh, my quads or whatever like twelve set session?" You're like, "Bro, train your quads more." It's like, "Bro, that's not what he asked you." Like, what if he, <laughs> what, he, what what if this guy is 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 like knows what you're saying already? That's very true, but I will also say that's <laughs> not the average person that asked that question because I've been asked that before and I know the person that asked this question. But you I don't know. actually know the person that I asked know the typical person asking this question. Oh, you do? I, the typical person that asked this question. Oh, fine, fine, fine. Yeah, but hey, maybe this guy's is not the tip. Is I, do have, the tip I do have suggestions in that case because I have been there and I also have other ideas now that you called me out for value judging people yeah i mean it's fair right like what, imagine if you imagine if we left it at that and he was like yeah but like that's not me so what do i do now and like, yeah yeah and well, like i said there's other things i'm gonna get into okay hit so, it assuming that you are doing other things you have a wide rep range as you're progressing your reps you're not just trying to make 25 percent load increases a lot of, for a lot of people, they just need a lot of volume and getting that much volume can be a pain in the ass. And so this is something, uh, Mike started doing it and I should talk to Mike about it. And I've been doing it is basically using like myo reps on damn near all of my arm training. And not only have my arms grown, I've added like 10 pounds to my bicep curls in seven months. And not like barbell curls, like that would be easier, but like cable curls and dumbbell curls. I've added my incline curls have gone from 20 pounds for 15 reps to 35 pounds for 15 reps. Yeah, I, I can attest to that. I uh, I was doing it yeah. towards the end of my prep and the, the training block after and my arms were bigger than when I started prep. So, yeah, I mean, the, the, to be honest, like. I, I the question requires more context because it's it's really too general. Like I'll yeah. take a stab at some at some things that I will parse out without trying to in, like impart my own biases here. If he's saying that his his compounds are progressing really well, but his single joints are not, then you could potentially pull back the volume on your compound work to make room for more single joint work. That's first of all. Obviously, the biggest foundation here is your technique needs to be amazing so i would hope that that's the case but maybe you're coming to your single joint work so b from hitting those prs that you're not able to really do them justice so there's that you could also flip-flop i mean i don't know how big or strong you are asker but you could do your single joint stuff first <laughs> you know pre-exhaust if you're nervous that like you somehow want your compounds and your isolations to, like work in tandem well, then just do your single joint stuff first to be pre-fatigued for your compound stuff. You'll have to use less on the compound stuff, but you'll probably get more out of it in terms of quality of movement and muscle. So you could try that. So for example, I mean, I don't know what his issue is, but let's say his leg extension is not progressing, but his squat is and his quads are growing. Well, if, that, if your quads are growing, then it doesn't really matter. But if they're not, dude, do the leg extensions first, go to town. And then you're probably going to get way more out of the squats and your quads anyway, and you have to use way less load. It's like, that's an example, you know, or if you, I don't know, if you suck at pullovers, but you're crushing it on barbell rows, do the pullovers first, then do barbell rows. And you might use a little bit less load and you'll save your lower back a little bit. Okay, cool. You know? Yeah, I like that answer. Can't hear you. That's something there, Shimmy. And uh, it... I want to ask your opinion on this. So take take the example of someone that's saying, you know, my compounds are progressing, but my single joint isolations aren't. Mm -hmm. And they're, you know, we'll say their bench is going up really, really well. Mm -hmm. But their, their tricep, their, you know, skull crushers, tricep ex extensions, they're just kind of stagnant. If A their triceps are visually growing, albeit maybe growing slower than they would want. And B, they've added 50 pounds to their compound presses and their single joint isolations have not gone down at all in that time. Would you say that that's stagnant progress? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't change exactly. anything. Exactly. 
And mm-hmm. if they're if they're going into these single joint exercises significantly more fatigued from the compound that just used those same muscles, then maybe still matching performance is actually increased performance. Mm-hmm. So you're saying that potentially their compounds are enough stimulus, and by the time they're getting to those other lifts, they're just uh, here. Actually, can you? They're going into them yeah. with more fatigue. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I get what you're saying. Like if you're, let's say you're bench pressing 300 pounds for 10 and before your, your, uh, PR was 250 for 10 and your PR on the skull crusher was, uh, 90 pounds overhead for 15 reps. And you went from 250 to 300 on the bench, but you were still able to do 90 for 15 after the 300. Like yeah, yeah. you were able to maintain performance while hitting a massive PR before that is progress for somebody yeah. that's not a beginner. Yeah, right. Exactly. And then that just comes down to, you know, in, in those cases, well, maybe you do have to look at specialization or something. If arms are a priority. Yeah. You have and to also what, the, the example that you named and that I just supported is also super real when you're dieting. Exactly. That happens a lot. Oh, like ma- maintaining performance a lot of times while increasing uh, volume or maybe increasing load on one other thing is super real when you're dieting. It's not, you're not going to hit load volume rep PRs on every exercise when you're, you know, not even deep in a diet when you're just like say midway through. Yeah. Yeah. One last thing. I don't know if we can answer this in, in uh, one sentence. It's probably impossible with these types of questions. I think we can. Um, I, I can do uh, that. Okay. So, so uh, Kratos asked me, um, lats are still a little sore by the next pull session. Oh, you cut out. Yeah. Shit. Hear me? Hello, hello. Yeah, I hear you. Okay. Uh, lats overlapping soreness. Is it is it a bad thing? Mild overlapping soreness. Um, are you not recovered? Should you pull back on volume? Hello. You heard it right, Trevor. No. Overlapping sore. If you have overlapping soreness, does that mean are you not recovered? Is that the question? What I interpret is like if you have overlapping soreness, like is it a problem or what do you what do you do about it? Dylan, yeah, is that same fair? thing. Same thing. That's ultimately what I was getting well, at. Specifically, it. how about I'm 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 paraphrasing this question. Uh, since I'm going to ask it, my lats are often still a little sore on the next pull session, although it's a horizontal pull session. Would my lat being fully recovered have a negative impact on my rowing movements? Well, I mean, first and foremost, <laughs> does it? Is a, I guess a, a good question. Yeah. Okay. Maybe maybe my mindset is different, but if that was my problem, I would be so happy because I'd be like, okay, I'm training hard. I have a great mind muscle connection. Shit's working. This is good. So all I'm gonna do is keep my volume static or slightly pull back my volume, and it will work itself out. Better to have this problem than to have no soreness at all, because most people are not able to generate soreness in their lats, especially there. So yeah. if you're saying I'm having too much soreness, dude, you did the you did the thing. Right? You showed up, you showed yeah. up, you got the t-shirt, you're rolling, you know how to train your back. Most people do not. So now all you got to do is if you did seven sets and it was overlapping, great, do six and you're probably going to be good. <laughs> yep. So uh, that is uh, ultimately what I would say is that you did you know you did seven sets and you're overlapping you can probably do six uh the few caveats to this are is it your first uh microcycle of a new mezzo with new exercises i won't make adjustments based on the soreness that first week because the novelty you know if i if i have three sets and it makes me super sore the first week I'm not going to drop it down to two sets because a lot of that was probably novelty and three sets will probably be perfect next time. Especially if it's unusually low amount of sets, right? Like it's like, you know, you did enough to get a good stimulus and you're just really, really sore. I might be like, Oh okay, yeah. I, uh, there, it's not likely that I did too much, I guess. Yeah. That's what I would think. Anyways. Um, right. yeah. To answer the question of will it affect actual rowing performance? Dylan already answered that. Does it? If it doesn't, then cool. And also, side note, he didn't mention this, but you know, is it lat soreness, or and I don't even know if this matters, or is it long head tricep soreness? 
Not really sure if that matters because it might affect it either way, but some people mistake lat soreness for long head tricep soreness. Exactly. Exactly. But like you got to grow both anyway. So maybe it's irrelevant. Yeah. Yeah, that is a good point. Because if you don't, like, I, I sometimes will wake up and I'll be like, oh, my lats are sore, but you have to actually, like, kind of distinguish a little bit. Dylan, and I actually I actually had a quick question come in. It's very short. I'd like your opinion on it. Sure. Okay. Um, are you a Honey Nut Cheerios guy or a Honey Checks guy? What if I've had Honey Checks? What the fuck is up with you people? Trevor said the same thing. Bro, Honey Checks is lit. You guys need to try Honey Checks. Honey Checks is good. I love, I love, huh? I love, uh, just regular rice, like rice checks. Yeah, same. Rice checks with a little cinnamon on them is delicious. Do you guys yeah. grow up in an old age home? What Shit, me, we've talked people? about this. I like raisin bran. Yeah, you're the worst. You, <laughs> Dylan, do you like raisin bran? Yes, I love raisin bran. I don't. What the with you guys? You have problems. I'm sorry that we do not have the taste buds of a child, Jimmy. No, you don't. You have the taste buds of a 79 year old paraplegic man. That's what you have. Jimmy, you, like you have. You both live in a goddamn old age home. Tennis ball walkers. That's what you eat like. Grape nuts? No. Grape nuts are fine. Yeah. Okay. I like grape nuts. Of course you do, because you're 85 years old. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Go take your yellow Oreos and enjoy them in peace. That's right. Golden Oreo double stuff. The goat of cookies. Dylan, what's your opinion? Oh wrong golden oreo double stuff yes um compared to like regular oreo double stuff correct um that's a hard one i think i'm neutral you don't have that option I, it depends on like <laughs> you don't have an option there's like, no if bad like if i had a bunch of regular oreos i might want to go try some like like I, I don't have like i feel like a lot of that if you had to buy one pack correct i would go with i would just go with regular oreos or some fancy shit. No, no, it, the the best are not the fancy shit. They're the old, like a hundred year old oatmeal frosted cookies in the purple bag. That if you ever had them, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I don't know what that is? I will send you a picture. They are the best thing. <laughs> in there. I don't think I know what that is. Yeah, um, nobody agrees with me. Maybe someone in this pod will they'll write in the comments. Someone agrees with me. Golden Oreo double stuffed over regular. I don't care. It's real. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try something and reevaluate that. <laughs> Dylan's like, no, nobody, nobody agree with it. Nobody write in the comments. Blueberry checks are really good. Have you tried those? I haven't, but I would. Blueberry I hadn't had honey checks in a long time, but I bought them recently and I'm just floored. So good. Oh my god, dude, you're massing. This is the time. <laughs> I will. I, I already told you I would get a box when I'm back to NASA. Yes. Yes. Yes, for sure. All right. Well, I guess you guys get out of here. We've been on for a while. All right. Uh, appreciate your time. It was a good time. Guys, it was yeah. a great time. Yeah. Fun, fun combo. People love this, uh, this show. We should keep it rolling. I can't hear you. Sorry. People love when we are on a podcast together, so we should keep it rolling. Let's do it. I'm here for it. All right. Cool. Cool. All right, fellas. We'll talk in a bit. Later. All right. Have a good night. Bye. I actually did have a couple of people message me saying that they did like it too. So.